Hey, and welcome to the Quest Podcast. We are so excited that you are here. Life with Christ is an absolute journey, and you do not have to do it alone. Jesus is in every single bit of it. We are excited to help you connect the Bible, the Word of God, to our culture and your calling. God has so many great things in store for you and for the world around us if we choose to step in with his mission and his calling in our lives. So grab a backpack, a water bottle, and join us on the adventure. Hey, Quest crew, this is Brent Dongel saying hi here. I got Michaela Wickham in the room, but I decided to lead us off and say that we are glad you are here listening today. And we are so excited that we will tell you every other way you can follow us at the end. But we also have a special guest today, as normal, and his name is Dr. Jonathan Searcy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Jonathan, I'm going to let him speak for himself. We've been friends for the last two years, but when I met him, let me just say this about him. He's one of those guys that if you have any friends like this, they not only are just driven, you feel like they could conquer the world, but they also still somewhat just have a, a, a genuine heart. At the same time, they're not mean about it. They they seem there's something special about Jonathan, the way that he's driven, but also just has such a, a, a heart to love and to grow and to learn. So I'm so excited, um, Jonathan, to have you here with us. I'm not sure whether they call you Jonathan or Dr. Cersei from here on out. Jonathan is great, and I'm really glad to join you today. <laughs> cool. Well, we usually ask this question to start off with, who are you, and what's your connection to SWU or being here today? So, in terms of Southern Wesleyan, I'm an associate professor of English. I am spending my third year here. I came here because my wife, Dr. Britt Terry, who's also an associate professor of English, got a job here the year before me. If I'm thinking about my roles, the sort of things I write down at the beginning of the day, disciple, husband, father of a five-year-old, brother to Asher and Elisha, son of John and Debbie, got really great aunts and uncles and cousins, saw all my family relationships, got a close friend crew. One of the coolest things about the past two or three years is I've got at least one friend every afternoon I have a 30 minute conversation with. So people in Oregon and in Indiana and in Florida and Tennessee, which is great. Then I'm a teacher. I teach general education courses. So if you're a freshman, you come to SWU, you'll probably have me or my wife teaching you freshman composition and then I'm a scholar, so I like to write about books too, not just teach about them. Um, so those are those are the things I'm up to. Man, I love it. I love it. And one of the things, um, actually, as you were talking, um, you reminded me of a high schooler I met here. She's in college now, but her name was Ellie Ryan, Stephanie Ryan. Her mom te- um, is a pastor down the road, but she would get up at four or five in the morning. Uh, to like get ready for her classes and do things and I'm like you do that as a high schooler and she's like yeah you have to get done what you have to get done doesn't every high schooler do that and I'm like (laughs) no not every high schooler gets up at five o'clock in the morning so you're one of those guys where does everyone talk to one of their friends as an adult like on a daily basis on an afternoon and make the intentional effort no like you you are so good at being intentional with relationships and what you value so I just want to jump straight into that like um, for students that are here, th- this whole series we're talking about right now is P 
people that live out their call, but it's not in a typical formal ministry uh, outlet. So you're an English professor. Like, I mean, and that, that's the informal term, but that's a part of what you do. Um, and so I don't know that most students are thinking, oh, my English teacher they're praying for me or they're trying to live out Jesus as they're teaching me about sentence structures or reading these books. But I know that you're intentional about that inside and out to the classroom. So I guess one of the questions I was wanting to ask you is how do you bring Christ into the classroom when it may not be the typical setting people expect it? So that's something I feel like you're intentional about. How do you bring Christ into a setting like the classroom or your job? So my first answer is basically the thesis I have for what I wanted to share with you. And it's essentially this, that education is discipleship. So I think I get to cheat in answering that question because I think anybody who's formally a teacher or interacts with students or who learns and thus puts themselves in the place of the student Y'all who are listening, who are students in high school and going to class, you are getting firsthand experience in what it means to be a disciple. Disciple is the Greek, like comes from the Greek word for student. And so the eye-opening thing for me as a teacher was when I discovered that as a professor, day in and day out, I'm getting to think about what discipleship looks like. Just to plug, just to piece that together, um, what I heard you saying, especially for students that are thinking about colleges, like, um, is that I think so often we're thinking, what college do I want to go to? But you would reframe that as, who do I want to learn under? Who do I want to disciple me? Because when they're going to that school, the teachers they're putting themselves under are ultimately a huge part of the discipleship. It's not just the church and smoke outside of that. Like, wherever they go for education, they're in essence being discipled. And the question is kind of who do you want to somewhat be the people you're learning from because they are discipling you along the way. Anyways, that's something I took out of what you were just saying there. Yeah. As a teacher, I'm always going to be a student in my faith. And so that is a really important aspect of that as well. As long as you are in school somewhere, you will have concrete experiences that can inform the way you think about your relationship to Jesus. You will always be Christ's student and you will have people who can lead you further in that relationship so that even if you have the worst teacher in the world, you can learn from, you know, you can learn from that and compare that to Christ who says, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, which is something that uh, teachers in a whole lot of disciplines, I know I've probably got <laughs> students who do not think my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I mean, on it, so that's like super big thesis. Education is discipleship. Every act of learning here on earth, if it's truly God-directed, points us to Christ. And so um, I'm working alongside people in the division of religion, even though I'm not necessarily opening up the New Testament. In terms of a concrete thing, here's what I do in class to sort of bring Christ in. I started doing this my first semester here. Um, 
All right, let's get started. Please close your eyes with me. Put, take a deep breath. Put your hands over your heart. As you feel your heartbeat, be reminded of all the gifts you've been given that you did not have to earn, including your heart. And for those gifts, give God thanks. Wait a beat. And I say, all right, now call to mind someone you are thankful for and give God thanks for that person. And wait a beat. And then say, call to mind something you love getting to do and give God thanks for the opportunity and privilege of doing that. Wait a beat. And now give God thanks, the giver of every good and perfect gift, the one who gave you your heart, your relationships, the experiences that make life worth living, the one who knows you and loves you. Give him thanks. And then I'll pray as a follow-up to that. Um, and I, until I came here, I never, I taught for seven years at a Christian university in Charleston, but I hadn't really figured out a good way to pray before class. Yeah. But starting with that act of gratitude, trying to get people in a better headspace to call time out on all the stuff that's buzzing around in their mind to focus on gratitude, to focus on God as the giver of those gifts that they're taking a moment to say thank you for, sort of seamlessly led into prayer. And as a result, like the thing I always ask at the end of my prayers, dear Heavenly Father, let the skills that we cover today help these students grow in their ability to love you and others. And essentially, I teach people how to read and write more effectively. And those skills are super applicable to loving God and loving others as well. When you write somebody a text that says you appreciate them, you are using words to build up somebody in God's kingdom. When you read God's word well and you delight in it, you don't just know what it means, but you delight in it, you meditate on it then you are, if, if I get what I hope is that my class is sort of like inoculating people against the allergies they have against books and writing because they are two of the most powerful spiritual disciplines we have access to. And for whatever reason, people walk in with allergies to reading, allergies to writing, and I know that apart from them reading a poem or a novel after they're done with my class, if they're going to grow in their relationship with God, they better be cracking the Bible somehow. Mm. They better be writing out prayers and sort of like articulating their, their gratitude, their petitions, their sort of like ability to write out what it is what it is God is doing in their life. And so I hope that when the classes I teach are over, they're a little less, ha they're, they're better able to see God in those two disciplines, reading and writing. Um, and I think the, the gratitude practice at the beginning of class makes that more apparent. You just say English sounds so much more applicable and meaningful than I did going into my English classes. <laughs> like, and I'm not bagging the English, I'm saying the allergies. I, I, as you're speaking to that, that's so good. And I just want to actually, before we even jump further into like, the way you've done that so well, just, just exampled. Um, if a student, if you're like, I'm needing to kind of connect with God, and I've been longing for that, I've been doing that, and you didn't just do what Jonathan just walked us through, mm -hmm. um, I would consider pausing this 
after I explain one more time than doing that. So what you said was close your eyes, put your hand over your heart, and you had, it sounded like you had three thankful things. Um, there was a thankful for... for so you, you start by feeling your heartbeat yeah. and you consider the fact that you didn't do anything to earn the heart that is keeping you alive. Yeah. So you you start by giving God thanks for all the things you have in your life that you didn't have to earn. And if, I mean, that's salvation. That's where it starts, right? Wow. And yeah. then you call to mind someone, a particular person yeah. that you are thankful for. You call to mind something you love getting to do. So... For a lot of my students, at that moment in the class, they're probably not calling to mind sitting in an English <laughs> class. But by the power of transference, I'm asking them to connect this thing they're about to do with something that they love and to get to spend a moment in there. And of course, all of it's really, really hard to do that. Yeah. It's really, really hard to sit still for three minutes and call that stuff to mind. What you are doing is you're practicing uh, God's gift to us, which is imagination, in, in calling to mind the images, the sensations, the feelings, and then not just for their own sake, but calling them to your mind as like things you are thankful for. When we get together at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. or 9.25 on Monday Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those students have already had, you know, 15 different things happen to them just to have a space where they can be still quiet through some words, position their minds where they see what God has done for them. All of them have things they love to do. All of them have people that are near and dear to them. And to me, it's connecting those feelings they already have those feelings which come from God, which are deep, are real, talk about what they love, not just what they know, yeah. and to direct them toward God, who is the one who gave them those feelings in the first place, as a way of getting them to see not only, hey, those feelings of gratitude you have to your parents or to your brother and sister or to your significant other can be directed towards God in a richer, deeper way, but that the God who gave you those emotions has those same feelings for you wow. as well. Like, gave he gave you your heart out of love. He gave you the relationships that make your life meaningful. He gave you the passion that allows you to really dig, get in to play the guitar or being an athlete or fill in the blank. You kind of made the phrase that all learning submitted to Christ is kind of a discipleship kind of experience. So I just, I, as you said that, I thought that was super interesting. So for those of us, I think sometimes we're like, oh, I'm doing this over here and I really should just be reading my Bible. We kind of almost make that contrast. And like there's times where we really should be opening up and cracking over our Bible. Yeah. But then um, it, it sounded almost like you were saying there's a way to go down a blog or a podcast or a YouTube trail that can be to learning to the glory of God if submitted appropriately. How would you do that? Is there other, I know the Bible is kind of our source of truth, but it sounded like you're like, hey, any kind of learning done with Christ can be a form of kind of learning your discipleship. Like, so um, what, did you, what did you mean by that? How, how does, how, how, because I think some of us, we learn outside of just reading the Bible. So connect that to how that's actually a God honoring process instead of just, our guilty distraction for the rest of our lives that we should be reading our Bible more. 
Augustine says in, on Christian doctrine, like, <laughs> where'd you learn how to read? You know, who taught you how to read? You had to learn how to read to read scripture. Did that, how, how did that happen? Where did, where did that teacher get that knowledge? Does the Bible contain verses in it that teach you how to read? No. You have to learn the skill of reading and writing elsewhere, which then, brought under the discipline of the Word of God, can be super useful. From, like The fact that you can open up the Bible and read it in the first place had, had to come from somewhere else. So, we are constantly asked to look at... Th- the book of nature, the world, culture, people that are made in God's image, doing things in the world, making music, making art, building airplanes, exploring the oceans, and then the revealed Word of God. And those two things complement one another. They do not box each other out. I mean, that that to me is where I would start. You had to learn how to read somewhere, and it wasn't by reading the Bible. That so is, I've, I've never heard it said like that. That is so powerful. Wow. Quite that succinctly. Like, I mean, Augustine, but yeah, that's, that's a, I love that. So, yeah, the, it, the things we're learning, like in the same way, learning how to read, so the things we're learning can actually enhance our Bible reading experience when mm. applied appropriately. Mm. Those don't have to be distractions. Those can actually be things if learned in the right sense before God could actually are enhancing the Bible reading understanding of what God is. Mm. That's so powerful. And in some cases, things we actually have to unlearn. All right, totally. But that means like whether <laughs> you're doing the- cool theater or band or sports or um, you're in huge into academics and reading math. Like, there's ways that each of those things, in some way, can actually um, be pieced back to understand God and His truth in an even greater context. Wow. Hey, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. And I'm <laughs> no, that man. I just want to go read. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me want to go read. Um, switching gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, you get a variety of different students in your classes with your um, 100 level courses, which is like the main entry level for um, like the university's English courses. And so you get like science majors, you get religion majors, you get um, teachers, like future teachers all in your classes in, in one class. So um, you have a lot of people who are trying to figure out what God has called them to do. Um, how as a professor, do you approach those students who are trying to figure out, well, man, what has God created me for? Um, and how can I use this space to do that well? If the people are listening who are listening to this podcast are already asking that question, they are ahead of a lot of my students. I don't... <laughs> I don't. So this semester I started doing something different to try to get at that question. I had... A book of essays called This I Believe. And the premise was that each essay was built around a personal statement of belief. You weren't supposed to necessarily produce the creed of a church or a nation or anything else that sort of 
applied to tons of people. It was supposed to be, this is what you personally believe. And then I asked students to write those essays for themselves. So this I believe in general. And then at the end of the semester, they wrote a this I believe essay about education, what they thought about learning. And looking at now 80 some odd essays, they are struggling to articulate what they really believe a lot of times. And so my first my first word is if you feel like you haven't got it figured out, you are not alone. A lot of your peers and compatriots are in that same place. I think second, I feel like even the students who say they know what they want still don't fully have ownership of uh, their dreams, what they believe they're made to do. And maybe that's the point. If that lack of ownership comes from them knowing that they want God to be the one Mm -hmm. to reveal to them what it is they're supposed to do, that is a really powerful place for them to be, even though it's vulnerable because it sort of means not knowing. On the other hand, uh, A lot of my students articulate dreams and desires for themselves that they think are their own but are really from the culture. They're reflecting what they think they're supposed to want, what they think their parents want for them, or what they think their friends want. And so the point of an English class that asks them to write that stuff out is just be aware of it. Like, can you sit down and write down what it is you believe so that you own up to it? And I'm not even asking them to change necessarily. For some of them, it's the first time they've tried to put down on paper something they really care about. And that that's the sort of challenge I might give someone who's listening. If you were asked, what do you believe? What? What kind of statement would you write? And we're talking 500 words here. Like, concretely, what is it you believe in? And if you believe God has given you a calling for some particular ministry, and it doesn't have to be vocational ministry, what what would it be right now? Um, that Just that act of sitting down and trying to write that out would do a lot of people a lot of good I probably will do that I'm not sure if I'll get yeah. it done today in the next day or two I'm, pro- I'm going to take up that challenge 500 words uh, what do I believe I believe this and kind of seeing I'd be so curious as to kind of my cores that will come out as I would type that down there yeah. I think the thing you said that even Michaela made the comment on learning that I think was <laughs> so good about what you just said is that some students that come in so confident with what they know they want to do yeah. um, I feel like so often this can be even in, I don't know if this is like Things can be secular route too, but ministry route often is people have to give up their self-made dreams or sometimes idols um, that they've been so certain about what they wanted to do that sometimes an uncertainty can be a good thing. It can actually mean instead that you're saying, God, there's room for you to do it instead of God, no, you have to make this happen Mm -hmm. because you are a determinist in the past. So 
you actually kind of brought a positivity to uncertainty that that sometimes uncertainty can actually be leaving a room for God to direct instead of us telling him what he needs to do. Yeah, I've seen a lot of driven students come in as freshmen like, I know exactly what I want to do. It's going to look like this, 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 and I know the steps to get there. Maybe half of those actually follow the path that they have <laughs> jumped into when they get to school because God starts to to change things up a little bit for them, whether that be in their heart or their circumstances or their passions or what, whatever that is. God starts to stir it up, and what he's asking is, uh, do you trust me enough to do something new that I want to do um, in you and through you? And when they say yes, it's a wild ride, and it's awesome, but um, there's a willingness in them, a new willingness to to lay on the altar and sacrifice the things that they wanted for maybe the greater plan that God has for them. And that's cool. we got to be coming to a close here. I want to ask one more question, unless, Michaela, you had something there, but I just wanted to get to that last question, which was, what advice would you give to a high school student, Jonathan, that's wrestling with a call to serve God in a field outside of like a pastoral role or formal church ministry? You are, you are God's child. You are bearing fruit in the kingdom, the body of Christ, whatever body part you imagine vocational ministers being in the body of Christ, if everybody is a right arm or a left arm or if the body is just a head that head ain't moving anywhere yep an english professor just used the word ain't so there i th- i think that's important for us to know that not all ministry looks the same and again i think the the real question is outside education because I think education is so closely tied to discipleship. It's easy for me to see how even though I'm not leading somebody through a book of the Bible, that I'm covering a Shakespeare play or I'm talking about The Road by Cormac McCarthy, that there is discipleship work going on there. I think the harder thing may be for someone who feels like they're in a discipline that is not, you know, my dad who's in corporate finance or my aunt who edited books or something like that. But to know that we are supposed to think of ourselves as a body and all the variety we can see just in the like beautiful body God gave us, thank goodness we don't all look the same. And yet, if you've ever had an ingrown toenail or a toothache, something that seems relatively small on the outside makes a whole lot of difference to the rest of your body when it's in pain. And we tend to take that stuff for granted, but I believe that like, that is God's way of letting us know how important we are to his kingdom and it functioning well. So that if somebody who is a camp camp director or somebody who is a is a biologist or somebody who's like a journalist doesn't do their work to the glory of God the kingdom can feel that pain in small ways uh, and if you do it well the the body operates in a way that's beautiful and illustrates how how glorious God is which is the thing we're all trying to do 
uh, we're closing up here and just coming off the last um, podcast to this one, just something you said about the body. Like that's a second, like that's a second interview in a row or podcast we had in a row. That's kind of the team coming together. Mm-hmm. And so it just made me revisualize. I think sometimes in a school setting, I look at the super Christians, the Christian leaders, students, <laughs> yeah. and they, they do their thing or there's pastors that come and do their thing. And I don't think as a student, I was thinking, what's it look like for all the Christians in this class, or this school to be working as a body mm. and all of our gifts and talents working together rather than letting those Christian leaders kind of lead the way and hopefully maybe I'll join in with them or not. Mm. And the whole body context and what it would look like to visualize at my class or a lunchroom or a school would look so much different if we really own that to what you're saying. Like that's, a, that's such mm. a cool, powerful, uh, just, yeah, picture. Jonathan, thank you so much yeah, for being here you. with us. Thanks oh, for having man. me. Um, as Ooh. always, we have um, at Quest at Sue Instagram and Facebook. We also have, um, I think it's SueQuest.com. Yeah, we have a weekly um, pod, like a weekly blog that's for student leaders that want, if they want a sermon illustration or a game for the week at their youth group, you can go look at that up. And then every Friday, we're dropping out like a new podcast Ooh-hoo. episode. Yeah. And so, thanks again for being with us. We uh, love doing this with you guys, and hope that you're running as much as we are through this process. And man, so good. We have one more week where we're talking to people outside of formal ministry contexts and how they're serving God. This has been so great. This is the next game, Jonathan. And see you guys next time.